Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Okay, well, I hope you all uh, all got your brains going because we've got a good few uh, controversial and uh, interesting topics to get through when we bring on our guests, and that's what we're going to do now. So what I'd like you to do is give a warm welcome to our guests. First of all, the Echo Everton writer, Mr. Phil Kirkbride. Come on, Phil. Oh, you're okay there. Okay. Uh, next up, a man who I spent a lot of time with in, 19, uh, in uh, 2014-13-14 season, who used to do this man's job, Mr. Greg O'Keefe. And finally, a man who uh, I think is probably going to be the most entertaining on here tonight. Uh, he was a former defender. A great lad. We had some great uh, moments on the ball. No pressure, Bally. No pressure, Bally. Mr. Michael Ball. We just need to grab you a mic. I need to share. Can you share with Michael? Okay. Well, what we're going to do first of all, before we go on about the, um, before we go on. About, with some of the questions that from you guys and, and uh, we're just going to run through what we all feel about or not me but what, what the lads feel about this season and I think it's I think it's fair to say it's been a, a real disappointment it certainly has for me um, you know in the summer I, I genuinely thought we would break into the top six I thought maybe Arsenal or, or Manchester United would struggle and, uh, and there'd be an opportunity for us so we'll start off with Michael I think um, with regards to where do you think it's all gone wrong for Everton? Um, it's a good start, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> well, you know, Marco's come in, inherited players there who's struggled the last couple of seasons. He's brought a few players in. They've made a difference. They've been good performers, but not consistently. Um, a lot of the players there haven't probably experienced the Premier League before. So there's excuses there. Uh, a lot of stuff hasn't really gone our way either. Uh, with decisions, refereeing situations, sending offs. There's been a mixture of things that sort of gone against us this season. Um, but I could, at, early on in the season, I, I feel that we, we were just missing something. Um, and then we had the derby game. We put a lot of effort. Desire showed a bit of passion. Looked like we were about to turn a corner. And then we got, you know, that, that goal. Suck a punch. And it, it sort of killed our confidence. And you look around that team now, and I can't see... It happened to myself, going back with the McAllister situation, which that killed us back then, and the kick-started their season. And I feel you look around that team, and who's the characters, who's the, the guys there who could, come on guys, let's get, get a bit of grit going here. Um, 
we've showed it on occasions, you know, we go to Burnley, we do a good performance and then all of a sudden it goes out the window again. So the consistency is missing. Um, and we're lacking that belief where probably for the last 10, 15 years, we probably been always known as the underdogs where we probably haven't had the quality, but we always knew that if we get a set piece, we can get back into games. And I think that's what's missing this season. Uh, I think when we go a goal down, there's a few heads drop. Um, and I just look around that team and go, who's going to galvanise this team? Who's going to get people going? Is it, the st- is it the Marco Silva, the staff? Is the players? But when you're over that white line, it's up to the players. And you've got to look around and go, who can give you that extra edge, that run, that extra yard, make that crucial tackle? That can, it can change, especially Goodison. If you do a good tackle and you're under, you know, you're under the cosh, that'll change the crowd and that changes the, the momentum of the players. And... Um, that sort of lack, we sort of been a bit too easy to play against. Um, but when we have been playing well, it's ticking and looks well, but just not the majority of the season. But you know, talking about the derbies and how, how it's affected us this season, I think everyone, it's not an excuse, I don't think you can use it as an excuse, but, but it, it certainly has affected them. Um, but you know, from your own experience, that a derby can also turn it the other way, because I seem to remember you uh, scoring in a derby, and, and, and that was a... That was a big, big day for us, wasn't it? Well, I never scored. I wish I scored in the derby, Al. But did yeah, it? No, never what wish am I thinking did. of then? I oh, Danny Canamatri, sorry. Danny, no, I set up. Same hair. No, I'll catch it. Like, to be fair, no, no, I, I set up a few. You did, but sorry. From the long throw, the short long throws you used to do. I thought you scored in the derby. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's all, well, it's a derby sort of form goes out the window type. Well, you remember the derby thing. I'm talking about. But when, when, but when you do get a win against them, uh, it does change the whole season. I think this 17 days break, uh, which I spoke about last week is it could be our winter break here where we've got a chance to sort of you know Marco the first time probably since pre-season to have time with the players to actually put good training sessions in get a, his system into the players and, and go out and perform and you know, luckily last night we got a good result and he played pretty well and hopefully a bit of confidence will go into the, into the weekend and Phil I, I know you've never scored in a derby same as Borley um, <laughs> same but- record that wasn't you know on your quiz, was it? I'm actually thinking. <laughs> I'm actually thinking about. Uh, do you remember that little spate of games we had and we turned it round? Big star was it Arsenal? The Arsenal Chelsea. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but, um, well, it's it's you know we have, that's what we haven't done. We haven't won against the big side, hmm. and I think you know I think Marco Marco needs that, and I think that's going to help us as a club moving forward. A, a win against the big side will will help us with confidence. Phil, you've been very much involved in in going there every day and. You know, I've seen a little bit on, on, on social media sometimes with people saying it looks a little bit too happy, it looks a little bit too cosy in training. You know, is that, is that true? I mean, we, we, you know, I think social, we have to take social media with a pinch of salt, don't we? I think it's fair to say that. Have you noticed that? Does it seem serious there? It feels to me that the place, and, and we talk about Finch Farm, yeah. is actually a better place to be around because last season it was toxic towards yeah. the end. It was a horrible place to be. You could feel it in the air people weren't happy internally you could sense that people didn't want the manager to be there as well so it feels as though that's settled now so actually I think it's a positive whether or not if this is what you're asking me if there's there's still the right mix of characters maybe I'd still probably say no I think the dressing room's a better place from what I can gather but um, I still think there's work to be done in bringing the right type of player into the football you talk about what's gone wrong this season I mean we haven't really necessarily got a Cahill or a Fellaini just thinking recently. You know, somebody with that kind of 
won't say spite, but the spikiness and, 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 and something you can win a game almost. And, um, but in terms of the atmosphere, I think the atmosphere is better and I think, I think that's a positive rather than, than anything negative. Greg, uh, uh, Michael touched on it about the players that have come in and, and people say it's no excuse. You, know, you, you need to see progress, don't you, as well as you know, we know people use the buzzword transition. You know, but you need to see progress at the same time, don't you? Yeah, I mean, to an extent, whatever the recruitment was going to be in the summer, it was always going to be difficult for Silva in his first season. He's had one, two windows now. And I do feel for him a little bit because he's inherited a, a job where the fan base has been let down so consistently over recent seasons. Um, and yet, at the same time, he, he sort of hasn't helped himself. He hasn't developed, I don't feel, a rapport with the fans yet. He hasn't really stamped his authority as a manager. He, he's not one who gives out the most sort of charismatic press conferences or quotable lines. And what he did in the League Cup, which is something I, I still bang on about now in, in letting us go out to that by fielding a, a much-changed team, was damaging for, for his like, initial relationship with the fan base, then obviously Millwall. So it's been a combination of things, but you're right, that transition of players as well. I think generally the recruitment they did was brilliant. We, we all probably watched last night and were infused again by Luca Dean and he's probably going to be our player of the season as it stands. Um, but Charleston maybe not so much last night, but he certainly hit the ground running. So those players, you'd like to think Dean particularly, with a season under the belt next year, might give us uh, real room for optimism. But like I say, Silva needs a, he just needs a moment. And whether it's on Sunday or not, I don't know. Uh, Dave, if you can just get Michael's microphone there. Um, what's it going to take to change? Uh, I mean, I've, I've read many times, and I've, I find it hard to believe when people say this is the worst squad we've had. You know, I can't believe that. I just can't have that. This no, squad I, is capable of better, isn't it? You've been reading so much social media there. I do tend to do that quite a bit. The, the squad at the moment is, is a decent squad. The players that Marco Silva and Marcel Brands have brought in have all uniformly been successful. You know, the, the recruitment policy is so much better uh, than it was last season. And you can see you know, tangible signs of progress in that respect. If you think back to the, uh, the Anfield derby, we were seeing signs of progress then. And we actually went into that derby match feeling reasonably optimistic, thinking, you know, we can do something here. We can actually you know, sort of cause them problems. And we did, played very, very well that day. Um, exactly what Michael said before about you know, so how much of a demoralizing effect suffering an experience like that can have on a squad. And it's not an excuse because you know, they, they got back on track again. They beat Burnley away 5-1 on Boxing Day, uh, but still couldn't seem to kick in. I think we've just got to be patient. I mean, we take soundings you know, so from the players at Finch Farm, and they all seem uniformly behind what the manager's trying to do. Absolutely no signs that any of them aren't having him. You know, they actually you know, sort of like what he's doing. They love his coaching. They think he's a very progressive, thoughtful manager. No, he hasn't got a real dynamic force of personality, and that can count against you sometimes when you're uh, you know, appearing on you know, sort of television and what have you. But we've got to be patient. I mean, I always think managers should be given at least three years. You want to see three seasons of a manager to get his ideas into you know, sort of place, to try and see a pattern develop him, to get the squad as he wants it. And we're only you know, sort of two-thirds of the way through his first season. But, but it's, the, it's still early days. But the last three Leicester managers have gone on a run of six games you know, without a victory. 
and all three of them have gone after that, you know. And I would like to think that, you know, we're not going to become that football club that, you know, sort of makes knee-jerk reactions and sacks managers very, very quickly. If that would have happened, Howard would have got his marching orders a long, long time ago. David Moyes would have got his marching orders in the yeah. second season. You know, Most would. Exactly, yeah. You've got to try and be patient and allow, you know, sort of manager time to dig in. And, uh, you know, Marco Silva, I think we'll get that time. I mean, Farhad Mashiri, I think, has learned from, you know, sort of the mistakes he's made in the past and will be patient, you know, sort of, and give Marco Silva time to initiate uh, his ideas. But we've got to see a performance. We haven't had one yet this season. We've not, you know, every season you want one standout performance that you can take into the summer and say, yeah, that looked great. I mean, Man City last season, yeah, the, the 4 0 win. Hasn't happened yet this season. Fingers crossed it'll happen on Sunday. OK, we'll get on to your questions now. And I've got one from uh, Chris Connor, 88. Uh, I think that's your Twitter name. I don't think your last name is 88. Uh, do you think, it's a, it's a hot potato, this one, do you think our striker options should have been addressed in January of 2017 when we knew that Romelu Lukaku was about 90% certain to join Manchester United? Um, got to the summer, he left. No one came in. We know the story. Uh, Michael, what's the situation with the striker? We, we haven't replaced one, have we? Well, simple answer was yes. You know, I think it's, that's the basics, really. If you, when one of your, your top players leave, you try your best to try and get a replacement in. In, in the, the ideal world, you, you don't let them go until you've got someone lined up to come in. Um, and that's the, re the recruitment side of it at that time was, was failed. We brought in so many number 10s, so many wingers. And we were crying out for a goal scorer. Um, and yeah, the simple answer is, yeah, that's, that's who we still need to bring to the table. We need to bring to the club. You think that's still a problem, Phil? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's possibly the single biggest failing of Steve Walsh's time because the club knew that Romelu was going, yet did not enough uh, about it. Olivier Giroud was the one they thought they had in the door. But even still, if you reflect on if we'd have got him, yes, he's a good player, but is he going to go and score the goals that Rom scored? No. Would he have brought more players into the game in theory and, 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 and been that focal point? Yes, but the players that we, that we did sign that summer proved, by and large, not good enough. Maybe Sandros, Klassens, etc. So even Giroud, if we had have got that deal over the line, I don't think that would have solved the problem. Yeah, well, and it, it just never goes away, does it? You know, until they sign, you know, and, and the number nine at Everton is so, the strikers are so you know, uh, crucial to everything they do. And, um, okay, second question from Robin Gallagher here. I'm going to, this one to Greg to open up. Is Coleman past it? And if so, do we trust in Kenny uh, to go into the, or do we need to go into the transfer market? Sorry about that one, Greg, but... I mean, it's something which is being said at the moment. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's, personally, I think it's a bit unfair, but... Well, it's been spoken about pretty much all season, hasn't it? There's, there's no getting away from the fact that his performance levels haven't been at the, the standard we'd expect from him. And it's certainly not a lack of application or, or attitude. You can always guarantee that. Is he past it? I don't think you can definitively say he's finished, but he's getting towards the back end of his career. Um, and you've got to be assessing, I, I would have thought for next season, a right-sided Luca Dean equivalent to come in. Um, I like John Joe Kenny a lot as a, as a right-back. I'm not convinced what I've seen so far that he's the answer to go straight in next uh, start of next season and uh, be our first choice right back but I think if, if Coleman can somehow produce more moments like he did for the first goal last night that's something you, you associated with him at his very best but unfortunately and he hasn't been helped by the right side 
generally, which has been poor. He's either had a player who sometimes goes hiding in front of him, like Walcott, sometimes, or he's, you know, it's chopped and changed, and that's been difficult. But a very waffly conclusion to this is, yeah, I think they do need to look at replacing him in the summer. That's fair enough. Yeah. Um, one for you, Michael. What, what is Everton's best centre-back partnership? And, and you can't have Tom and Jerry, even though we know we've got one of them. No, but, but what is that? Because it, we've seen, what, Keane? Yeah, we've had a, a, Mina, we've had a mixture. Um, and it's been difficult to say. You, you, you know, Yeti showed promise early on, and then you think, would you trust him in the derby? You know, I'm not so sure. Um, the centre-back pairing yesterday, they've done a job, Cardiff, we're playing bit of long ball putting us under pressure and we dealt with it Jax's leadership we've got a difficult game coming at the weekend I'll stick with them you know I, if I was one of them two players and I wasn't playing at the weekend I'd be very unhappy you stick with the, 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 the centre back from I'll this stick night. on them until something happens yes because I think it's fair to say isn't it that Zuma and um, Keane went through a real purple patch didn't they, 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 they nothing got past them for a, a good few months Phil Zoom is the best centre-half at the football club, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I think he has to come straight back in on Sunday. I think, I think Jags found a rhythm that suited him last night, but he was nervous for 25 minutes, understandably, and he was, you know, and he was rusty. I think he just played it safe, and I, I totally understand why, and he got through the game and, and unscathed. But I, just, I can't see any other option than to bring Zuma back in because he's the most dynamic, powerful, he's, he's the most aggressive centre-half we've got. And we're not aggressive enough as a team. And I think he, he's what, what is needed. Um, it's a shame Mina hasn't been fit because I actually think one of his best performances of the season was at Anfield. I actually thought, we've got a player here. Um, but obviously he's had his issues since. But I think Zuma's got to play. Dave, we, you know, zonal marking, you know, we can't, we, can't, we can't go past talking about centre-halves without talking about zonal marking. And I don't know about you, and you're... you're sort of not quite as old as me but you're getting there uh, you're catching me up and I, I, I just look back and I don't know whether anyone else thinks this but I look back at, I look at these these games and these centre halves and, and, and the way it goes wrong and I think I can't imagine Dave Watson standing somewhere where he isn't attacking the ball you know I remember a great story of Dave Watson talking about Craig Short in a derby and Craig Short had been battered by Titi Kamara I think it was and Short, his legs had gone and he couldn't stand up, you know, and he was wobbling everywhere. And he said to, he pleaded to Waggy, he said, you know, I can't stand up. And Waggy just said, keep dancing, lad, and get going, you know. And, but, you know, and, that, and that's the sort of, I can't believe that a defender wouldn't just go, sod what the manager thinks, I need to be there and I need to challenge that ball. I don't see that, I have not seen that. No, I think the players do need to take a lot more responsibility than they are at the moment. I mean, the, uh, the Everson team in the 1980s, the most successful team we've all seen, used zonal marking and used it very, very successfully. Uh, we challenged Marco Silva after the, uh, the Millwall game about you know, sort of what had gone wrong and why he persists with it. And he went into admirable detail as to exactly what was going on. And he turned it around on me. He goes, OK, what went wrong with that first goal? And so I was trying to like, remember it in my head. Because who lost the first header? And I was trying to think, you know, I, I can't remember, it was Yerry Mina. And uh, he said, we put him there on that area to man mark their number five, because we know he's the tallest man on the pitch and he would attack the ball there. So he was given that responsibility and he failed. You know, so the guy won that header. He goes, what happened next? The second ball. Someone's got to react to the second ball. Who reacted? No one reacted. 
I also tried to maybe point the finger at Jordan Pickford because he stepped off the line and went back a little bit. He wasn't having that. He says, no, no, Jordan's got nothing to do with this one. So he says a number of players didn't take responsibility. He says before every single game, we identify what their set pieces are and we tell players concerned what they should be doing. And uh, he also challenged the fact it was at corners I was talking about or free kicks. He says, because we do something different. He goes, corners are zonal. He goes, free kicks from wide areas is a mix, just like a hybrid of some man-to-man, some zonal. So they clearly are you know, being given the correct coaching. They clearly are being told what they should be doing. You know, so at set pieces, but clearly not enough people are doing it consistently, well enough. And I think the players have got to take responsibility. And it's all very well pointing at the coach and saying, yeah, all right, zonal marking to blame again. Change it, go man-to-man. But, you know, if the players are being told what they should be doing and they are consistently failing, I think they've got to hold their hands up a little bit more as well. So clearly there's an issue and it hasn't been addressed yet. We've had a little spell where we haven't considered a goal from a set piece, but, you know, it's not been going on often enough all season. Michael, did you ever ignore a manager's uh, instructions at all? <laughs> I'm on the pitch I'm talking about now. Uh, well, it wasn't the managers yet. It was the it was the physio, the Coventry game, the famous Coventry game. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I got a nice little slap on a punch and so you're coming off. Um, and yeah, that that went down well. But then uh, Howard looked at me and said, "What's up with you?" And he said, "He's told me to come off." And he said, "Get back on, son." Yeah. And then obviously, yeah, we we got the result we needed. and We stayed on. Um, but I missed out on the celebration, the changing news, because the doctor and the physio had me by the neck in the, in the <laughs> medical office. So, uh, and I come out with crutches and, and tablets and so that. But sometimes, as a player, you've got to take responsibility. And um, I think that's what, at the moment, we're looking around. You can see the players looking, and they're not taking responsibility enough. Uh, there's been too many easy goals from set pieces. You can play in zonal marking. But the end of the day when Zoro Marker you're going to got a couple of yards space to, to look after and if you get a player that runs in that space and headers it that's your fault um, so they, they, they need to have a look at themselves as well. well and we thought Kepper was the first didn't we <clears throat> anyway okay let's have a look at this one and this is about really um, really what we do looking ahead in the summer um, and maybe we'll start with you Phil on this one uh, should Everton do you think Everton should look to buy tactically you know, and financially in the summer, or just go for at least one big name, one big marquee signing to try and get the feel-good factor back? My reading of the situation is the idea of a marquee signing, which was something that Farhad wanted. You remember that, Greg, in that first summer. That was that was almost his, his goal. Find the marquee signing. Money's no object. We'll bankroll this. I think that's gone, to be honest. I think Marcel Brands is far too shrewd and smart, too much in control of what we're doing now to be splashing the cast on a name. I think Farhad even mentioned it at the GM uh, in January that younger players is going to be the order of the day uh, who might command a hefty fee but will be on relatively, say relatively, modest wages um, and trying to sign... Because he mentioned, you know, Farhad mentioned how the difficulty in replacing Rom and replacing Stones, how we'd have to go and pay 250 grand a week and spend 150 million quid on these players. It's just not going to happen. That's not the reality anymore. You know, what we'll see in the summer is a continuation of trying to slash the wage bill. I mean, 145 million quid is ridiculous, really, isn't it, when you think about what we've got for that. Um, so that will continue, streamlining the squad. And I think we'll see... I, th- I, think, I think the pattern of, of, of the summer just gone will probably uh, maintain this summer in. We'll target players who, have, who, are, the, who are at the top clubs, at Barcelona's, etc., but have perhaps fallen down the pecking order. Luca Dean's a great example, I think. 
what a great player he is. But we were able to get him because he wasn't in the, in the frame at Barcelona. We've offered him the right deal. We've offered him that stepping stone, if you like. And I know we don't want to hear that, but unfortunately, that's where we are at the minute. We're, we're almost a, a club that's going to regenerate careers. And ultimately, you know, Luca Dean, if he continues, won't be here forever. In 18 months' time, he'll probably go. But that's going to be the process for us to start clawing back. It has to be part of the business plan, I think. Well, you mentioned Farhad Mashiri, so let's take that theme. Uh, Greg, people are looking at, I think it's three years anniversary this week or whenever. Um, clearly, they've made mistakes, clearly. Um, do you think we've lost, as a club, do you think we've lost a bit of that stability in the way the club is run? Do you think we're a little bit more maverick now because we've got money and we, you know, we sort of, we, we were always, although we never had the money, there was a, a stability about Everton. I think, we, I think that was certainly true initially in, in when Phil says about that first summer transfer window under Fahad Mashiri when it was well known in, in world football amongst agents, representatives, other clubs that Everton suddenly had went from sort of relative famine to feast, a lot of money to spend and a desire to spend it. So unfortunately, you look back at Fahad, the advice he was taking and not taking and some of the things he tried to do and maybe at that point, we had gone a little bit awry from what had made, built Everton to a club where they were consistently not winning things. Let's not kid ourselves as much as the Moyes era. And, you know, it was fantastic in solidifying our place back in the elite. We still didn't win anything. So maybe it was always going to be a natural transition when you get a, a rich benefactor. And I think the likes of City and Chelsea probably had similarly sort of truncated and, and painful learning curves. But with City especially because the, the vast, vast resource that basically the state that owns City has, they can, they can probably offset more of those losses, whereas, as Phil hinted there, as much as Mashiri is a billionaire and he's willing to, as he's shown, back us massively, only up to a certain point, he wants the club to be sustainable as well. Yeah. And it's so, not yeah, the model he's looking at, is it? That? No, it's not. A, it's not we're it's not, not going to be another Man City. It's no. not the Man City where they just kept throwing... I mean, I watched the whole 10 years of Manchester City... Yeah. And it was literally just throwing money after money yeah. and, until they got it right, and they did. Yeah. yeah, and of course they didn't have to build a stadium as well. So Absolutely. I think the one thing that me and Phil were chatting about this in the week when we were reflecting on his anniversary, for the mistakes he's made, the huge tangible success so far is, is the progress we've made in a new stadium. It's been long overdue. Um, none of us want to leave Goodison Park, but we acknowledge that we've got the right place to go on, on the banks of the Mersey and... Hopefully, in the summer, we'll see maybe some properly see, not leaked plans of what our next home might be like, and we can go from there. Okay, um, and I've got a little bit of a, a light-hearted question now. I'm not, I'm not sure who it's from. Um, I'll start it off. Which past player would you want back at the club at their peak? I'm going for Michael Ball. Uh, <laughs> Ballie. That's because we've bought you a drink before, wasn't it? <laughs> just, I just want you to score in the derby. What... Um, <laughs> In all fairness, who would you bring back, Michael? From maybe from your time or at their peak, who would be the most impact player now? It's a tough one, isn't it? And, and the other three have got time to think of this. <laughs> Brett Angel, someone shouted oh. down here. Get out. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I think we've stumped him. Yeah, I've struggled. Yeah, but it's the player that we're missing right now is to, to come in and, and change a game. Is is people like say like Duncan when we need a header or Kale when we need a goal? It's that type of player we're missing. The winners, the, the true mental winners who are there who 
you know, when we get under the cosh and you get and beat there, they're the ones who turn up and get you that goal to get back into the game. It's that type of play we need back. So you're going for Duncan Duncan I'll go Ferguson. For Dunk. Duncan Ferguson, okay. Dave? It's an easy answer to be honest. And he's out there in the Premier League, Romelu Lukaku. I know it wouldn't be you popular. Bring him back? 100% uh, player who scored the most Premier League goals uh, for Everton, who's uh, clearly what the club is crying out for, uh, a focal point at the top. A player who is consistently available, he's very rarely injured. You could argue he's probably, you know, sort of fractionally better player now than he was uh, when he left Everton. Uh, would he be welcomed back? Probably not, given the circumstances in which he left. Uh, you know, but he's just. Do you think he is need. the same player now? I mean, do you think when you look at him now? I don't know about everyone else. People feel he's got too much bulk on him. Um, I, I, I don't know. Is he the same? mentally same player now as he was when he was with Everton. We don't know, he's obviously had to be a lot more disciplined and play a slightly different game, you know, so at Old Trafford. But I still remember the, the excitement, you know, so when I saw him for the first time and his home debut against Newcastle, mm. and I just thought, wow, what have we got here? And, you know, he was just so strong, so powerful, so direct. And he won so many games, you know, so on his own. The kind of player you were talking about, Bully, you know, so you know, a player that can change the course of a game just with, you know, so one you know, goal out of nothing. Yeah, his touch isn't great, you know, so his hold of play can be a little bit erratic at times. But he's absolutely what Everson needs at the moment. And, you know, so I'd be delighted to see him back. Greg? Can I have a few? <laughs> you can have, no, you can have one. I mean, you can't have Bully or Lukaku because right, they've enough. gone. I think. I watched how John Stones has flourished at City and I really do think that we had a very, very special central defender there. And maybe not the one who'd come back and make a huge difference now, but I wish I could, you know, I wish he hadn't have gone so early. Mikel Arteta was one of my favourite players to watch before the injury. When, even when he was playing out wide, he had full backs, twisted blood. He could, one of the finest midfielders I've watched. But I've got to go for the obvious and it's, it's Tim Cahill. When you talk about some of the things we've lacked this season, we've all said resilience, attitude, leaders, the ability to run through brick walls, if you'll excuse the stereotype and uh, cliche rather. Cahill was all of those things. Um, yeah, he wasn't the silkiest of skilled footballers, but he could do it when it mattered. He, had an, he always had an opinion. He was spiky sometimes. We, we, sometimes me and Dave were on the end of that. That's not going down that road. <laughs> but he was, a, he was a leader in every sense and a character in the dressing room. And we, we know how much we lack them at the moment. So mine would be Cahill. Phil? I was going to say Cahill. Um, you Rob, can if you want. No, no I, I, think, I think Greg articulated it well. I think Rom's a good point. I think he was underappreciated. I think, you know, personally, I don't think I appreciated him enough while he was here, but on reflection. Um, but for somebody different, I would somebody, say Felly. Somebody who would impact now. Felly, Felly he made him impact on games, didn't he? And, yeah. You know, talking about impacting on football matches, that was the one thing that the criticism I was level at Ross Barkley. I think he had so much talent, but would never impact and influence games enough for me for what he had. But something like Fellaini just would, would make stuff happen. He'd be a nuisance. It had a bit of an edge about him, you know. And I just think that we haven't got that. And, and Marcel said to me before Christmas about if it was up to him, he'd fill the squad with the, the team, sorry, with 11 Sigurdsons because he loves a technical player. But he's, he's uh, savvy enough to realise that there have to, has to be this kind of blend. And he talks about characters, and I'm, I'm hopeful in the summer we might find that type of player uh, obviously has to be of the requisite quality but somebody who's got just something about them and a bit nasty and, and as I say can, can make changes in games and, and win your matches okay well mine I, I was joking about Borley by the way before in case anyone was uh, confused with that um, but mine would definitely be big Bob Latchford 
because I think with Richarlison and Luckman and people like that now, I think Bob Latchford would score a, a hatful of goals in today's game. Um, I'd probably take him back as he is now, never mind, because uh, he certainly looks a lot fitter now than he ever did. Um, next question from somebody. Uh, do you think the players understand how big the club is and are the club failing to instill this belief into the new players of recent years? Uh, there doesn't seem, appear to be a widespread belief throughout the club of how big the club they're playing for is. Is that, is that a fair enough argument? Who wants to come in on that one first? Sounds like a thesis, this, isn't it? Rather than... uh, it's, yeah. I understand the question. Kind of Did you feel it as a, as a player? Did you understand that? L leaving the club and going elsewhere and seeing how other people look at us, yeah, I do understand it. Um, right. Because we're not winning stuff, because we're not challenging Europe, because we're not in Champions League, we all know, because we're all blues, how mm. big the club is. Mm. But these are young kids and they've never seen Everton being successful. So they have that mentality of, why would I want to go there? They look at the bigger picture. I remember signing for PSV and um, Aruna Kone signed in the same, same week. In his first press conference to say, welcome, I'm here. Um, I said, you know, made up to be a PSV, a big club, and I want to be successful. He basically went, well, I'm here for a little bit. Is my stepping stone. I want to go and play for Man United, and AC Milan, and Man United. Yeah. I looked at him and thought, what, what's, he, that? what's wasn't he doing? Wasn't a good one, that was it? Yeah. Okay, PSV is, is that type of club, though. You know, that's that's mm. the Dutch way. They they build yeah. players up to move on, and they cash in, and that's where Marcel Brands yeah. is going to bring to us. That we need. We're not going to be top of the tree straight away. He's going to find these players who want to bring in and develop, but who are also very talented right now to take us that next level. So I do understand the question, and it's. It's the inside, it's the staff, it's the people around, the fans, that when these walk into the club, they do realise how big the football club is, and that's, and that's what needs to happen. Greg, Farhad Mashiri, I think, was famously quoted as saying, we don't want to be a museum, but you can't, you can't ignore history of this club, because I don't know about anyone else on the panel, but I, I just think where you've been tells you where you need to go. And Well, yeah, without a doubt, and I think... I don't want to say, oh, you know, kids are today type thing in terms of, I know Michael has a lot to do with, with young up-and-coming players now in terms of, of finding the next talent, but you are getting a generation of young, young lads and, who, who don't know Everton, as, as you just said, as this successful club that's been you know, a giant in Europe and, and in the domestic. And you've got kids who are coming through probably only really saved they were born 92, 93, too young to even see us win that, that FA Cup. And that's fans as well, sadly, but you know, players and to impress upon them. I think players like Phil Neville, even though they played at United, probably got it. KL obviously got it. You know, but it might be that extra challenge now to make these young talents coming through realise and I know Everton's very good at that traditionally, you know, it's always been part of the education when you get to Finch Farm or Belfield as it was. You've got your Jimmy Sages and Lumsdens and everyone around them who lives and breathes the club. They'll try and fill in those gaps, but I would I would suggest it's getting harder and harder to do. David, are, are we a little bit, do, to, uh, you know, do we look through rose-tinted glasses, especially those older ones? You know, do we do, do we need to get real, as they say? No, not really, because you know the size of a football club is a very very difficult thing to assess. Yeah. You know, so how do you describe a big football club? And you know, you can say the amount of honours won. You can say you know, so how much they spend on players. To me, it's generally about the support base. 
and, you know, and history. And Everton has routinely had big crowds, 40-odd thousand turning up every week. And, you know, so you, you tend to get you know, sort of mocked a little bit because you know, so I haven't won a trophy for so long, therefore how can you consider yourselves a big club? Well, it's absolute bollocks. I mean, it's all to do with you know, so, you know, so how many people support that football club, you know, so what they've won in the past. Everton is a huge football club, and it's possibly you know, so only when you do step outside a little bit you realise it. When players come to Everton Football Club, it can take a long time for them to settle down because they suddenly realise, you know, so wow, you know, so this is a lot different to, you know, so what I was expecting. I was with Joe Parkey when he arrived, um, you know, so from Wigan Athletic, and uh, he said he just couldn't believe, you know, so what kind of football club he'd walked into. And you hear it so many times when Jimmy Gabriel took over as a caretaker manager that time, and he described it as like being behind the helm of Battlestar Galactica. He said he just couldn't, you know, so believe it. Ever since a huge football club, and, you know, to actually have the world at large understanding that, you know, so you've got to start performing on the pitch and start getting into the Champions League, which is what Farhad Mashiri wants to do. He's made that his mission and, you know, he's made mistakes along the way. But, you know, so I wouldn't say it's never going to happen. Phil, I remember when um, uh, Thomas Graveson joined Everton and uh, I was left, everyone was in Italy, Il Choco, and I was left at Belfield to, to meet him and to make sure he was okay because he was getting on a plane to go, so I wanted to do a quick interview for Club Call with him, and I said, uh, "Thomas, what do you know about Everton?" You know, and he said, "I know they have the greatest goal scorer in the world, Dean Dickinson." And uh, I thought, "Yep, yeah, okay. Well, we'll start with that one." But Phil, do do the players today? Do they know the history? Do they know about Dixie Dean? Do they know about you know Joe Royal and? Peter Reid and Sharpie and all I, these names? I'd love the answer to be yes, but I think the answer's no, isn't it? Um, I think there's certain players who want to try and understand the club. There's certain players who will ask questions and take, a, take an interest, if you like. I think some players, as is the modern footballer, just live sheltered lives, training, into training, out to training, don't live in the city, don't live near the city. You know, there's not that sort of daily contact if you like that would be that reminder um, but look I, I don't want to tar, tar them all with the same brush but you know unfortunately there isn't perhaps that romantic kind of um, investment if you like in, in, in the football club per se and is that all clubs you know it's not yeah, necessarily I don't think Everton, it's just us it? I think it's I think it's I think it's modern football isn't it but you know there are certain players you get the impression want to kind of understand, want to be able to understand what the supporters are feeling, want to be aware of the, of the, of the you know, take a, take a gauge of the temperature and the, and the feel of, of what's going on outside of the four walls at Finch Farm. Um, OK, we'll move on to the next question. Uh, and it's, it's an interesting one, actually. We've got a couple of players on loan at the moment, as we know. Uh, if you could only sign one of Andre Gomez or Kurt Zuma this morning, so... I don't know when that came in. But anyway, if you could only sign one of those, which one would you go for? We'll start with you, Greg, I think. <laughs> I, I would say Gomez because I think Zuma's... I agree with Phil, he's been a really good loan signing. Not exceptional. He's, he's a decent top sort of seven or eight Premier League centre-back. And I know they don't grow on trees, but I think he's replaceable in a way that probably what Gomez brings to Evans' midfield isn't and albeit he's had a, a, a slump in form in the last few weeks and months but the way he started certainly uh, the class he has the able in the transition to turn defense into attack his range of passing and 
we haven't seen it enough but the goal he scored at Goodison Park recently he's definitely got that in his locker so I would have thought for me he would have been the priority to, to get on board permanently David, Gomez, Zuma, which one are you going for? Echo that entirely. I'm a, I'm a sucker for Gomez. He's, um, he's got something that Everton don't already have in that midfield area. Kurt Zuma, very, very good player. But equally, there also are players at the football club that could do you know, sort of what he does maybe as effectively. Andre Gomez always looks for a forward pass. You, know, you watch his passing, and it's very rarely sideways. It's always penetrating. It's always positive. He's so comfortable in possession. Getting the balance right alongside him in midfield is the most difficult thing to do. Minimum guy look okay at times, uh, but you know, so Gomez all day long. So, so trying to bring that quality of football into the football club is very, very difficult to do. Michael, what are you going for? Yeah, exactly the same. Um, you, you notice when they put that blue shirt on and you see someone with that little bit of spark, a bit of difference that you haven't seen for a long time. It doesn't happen much. And, Early on, Gomez had that quality and had that shine, and you can see his ability straight away. And you've got to remember, he come back from a long injury, and he, he missed pre-season. He had a lot of catching up to do, and he still put, produced them performances. So, you know, with a good pre-season behind him, fully fit, hopefully, you know, we'll see the best one for many years. Okay, um, got a quite simple question now. Quite simple question: How long has Silver got? <laughs> straight to the point whoever said that straight to the point how long has Silva got in real well you, you've got to give him credit because I was very shocked and very very surprised at that lineup uh, yesterday and it was a very brave move for him because mm. if that went pear shaped and Sunday goes pear shaped I think a lot of people would be calling for his heads but he's made a he's made a decision it worked we've got to we've got to <laughs> score three goals clean sheets Okay, it's against Cardiff, but it's a confidence. We haven't played a game for 17 days. He's made a brave decision. It's worked. So hopefully we get a good result. He's going to get the time. I think we've learned that chopping and changing doesn't help anyone. If you bring a new manager in, his excuse is going to be, these are not my players, and it's another two, three years down the line before he gets the players in. We're still waiting for Everton to have this, what style are we? What are we? We're still in this transitional period. We hate saying it. We've been saying it for too many years. But he's only had that one window to bring players in. Uh, give Marcel and his coaching staff you know, another summit and let's see how the starters next season is. Phil, have you noticed the difference um, since the derby, if you like, in, in, in how Marco Silva speaks to you, you guys and, and how, how, he, how he is around the training ground? Have you noticed the nervousness about him? Saying nervousness, I think I, th I think there's definitely been a degree of spikiness about him. I think Monday he was he was on the front foot a little bit, wasn't he? Um, he's very consistent though, especially even away from the camera. There's no, he's absolutely steadfast on where he wants to play. This is long term. This is X, Y, and Z, and he doesn't waver from it. Now, when things aren't going right, that's infuriating, of course, and you understand that. Um, but he obviously came to the football club with the, I wouldn't say promise, but the plan of something that would be long-term. Him and Marcel got three-year contracts side by side, and he obviously thinks that it will take three years, so he's not panicking, but of course, how, how much time he actually gets and how much time he should get are, are two different things probably, aren't they? Dave, what, 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 I mean, you've seen managers come and go. You've seen how it, it changes very quickly. Do you sense there's a, a nervousness about whether to keep this manager or not? No, I don't. Um, I think Farhad Mashiri is quite keen to be seen as an owner that is prepared to be patient, to back his manager. And let, let's 
face it, Marco Silva was the manager he wanted all along. I know Sam Allardyce was like, you know, so the, an interim manager, if you like. Uh, but, and that was, Farhad subsequently panicked, you know, admitted he panicked on that one because I think it's an open secret that it wasn't a universal choice to bring Sam Allardyce into Everton. There were plenty of other people at the football club that didn't want him to come in. But Farhad saw his you know, Premier League dream going up in smoke and he apologised to those doubters afterwards and says, look, I'm awfully sorry, I panicked, I panicked. Uh, knowing it was only going to be a short-term appointment, knowing that Marco Silva was the guy he wanted all along, who he'd initially targeted. So I think he's prepared to be absolutely patient this time. I think if Everson get themselves into a sticky situation, similar to how they found themselves in last season, I'd like to think he wouldn't panic in the same situation this time. And let's face it, this season, disappointing though it has been, hasn't been anywhere near as sticky as it was at that stage last season. You know, we saw some very, very progressive performances up until the Anfield derby. There's been some very disappointing games. I mean, the Spurs game at home, you know, case in point, but nothing quite as bad as last season. So I think he's prepared, you know, to, to go for it for the long haul. This is the manager he wanted. He's going to back him. And, you know, so hopefully, you know, so that kind of dedication will get its rewards. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Okay, um, I've got a question I'm going to give you now, but I don't want the answers now because I'm going to give you a little bit of time to be fair to think about it. But the question is, what's your best story involving an Everton player? Well, yeah, I can jump in on that because I, I, you know, I, I saw that earlier. Okay, okay. He's, got, he's, been I, think, he's I, chomping at the bit here, isn't he, to get this one out? No, I was thinking, you know, so how on earth can you answer that one whilst, you know, so not upsetting people in polite company? And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, Borley, you know, plenty of stories about Borley, but no, we won't go down that road. Graeme Stewart, who was a player, I'm sure, you know, so you're all aware of, he was a big pal of mine, lived around the corner from us um, in Formby. And in the Mike Walker era, he was completely and utterly bombed out of the squad. Mike Walker had arrived, didn't fancy him as a player, bombed him out, and Graeme was like going through turmoil, wasn't happy at all. Anyway, one Thursday night, he gave us a buzz and says, look, you know, so any chance, you know, we can go out, have a few beers, I, I just can't handle things at the moment. So we went out and uh, it was a long night. Uh, we ended up in Southport, a place called the Kingsway, I don't know if you remember it, and uh, bumped into, as you do, Peter Beagry, in the, who was then playing for Manchester City, and Vinny Samways. Vinny had also been bombed out, obviously Thursday nights in Southport was a, a good venue for disaffected footballers. So we ended up having like a, a really long night, bumped into Colin, landlord of the Grapes, informed me, invited us back to the Grapes, so it seemed like a sensible thing to do at the time. So we go back to the grapes and it gets later and later. It must have been about three or four o'clock in the morning and I can remember just seeing Beagers absolutely slumped in his Chesterfield armchair, fast asleep. Graham holding court at the bar where they were Colin. I thought, I'm in work the next day. I need to get out of here. So I headed off home. So it must have been about lunchtime-ish, the phone goes and it's Diamond. You'll never guess what happened. And I can't do the Cockney accent, so I won't. He says, Walker's only going to name me in the squad for tomorrow. I said, you're joking me. He says, I need to get home. I need to get home and sleep this off. You know, so you know, I'll see you tomorrow after the game. So Edward Everson playing on a Saturday, Blackburn Rovers, champions elect. I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, so what's going to go on here? So if you remember that game, uh, so Everson went at them all guns blazing and Diamond scored an absolutely sublime chip about three or four minutes in against Tim Flowers, the then England goalkeeper. Absolutely magnificent. You then went on to have a half-decent game I mean, that was a great Blackburn team. They ended up winning the game 2-1. And I'm thinking, fair play to him. You know, so I saw him 48 hours ago, and he was just like a shell of a man. And here he is performing like that. I wonder how Beagers did. So it turned on uh, you know, so Sky Sports. They were playing away at Crystal Palace. 
Peter Beagley got hauled off at half-time, having been absolutely shambolic. So the moral of the story is, Everson players can handle their beer far better than any other footballers out there. Absolutely, I can vouch for that as well. Michael, I'm going to let you, you've had time to think about that now. I'm going to let you, I'm going to walk amongst the people. I'm going to do my Alan Partridge thing now. Uh, so carry on talking, Michael. Tell us about the best story you know about it. And be careful, you know, because there's live. I can get sued here quite easily or the phone will ring straight away. Um, it was one that helped. I'll finish that. Oh, they it was a Howard story, as you could imagine, where at the time the FA brought in a ruling where if your player gets sent off, you you get fined two weeks' wages, and it's up to the club to implement it or not. Um, Fran had done the quiz before about a certain player getting sent off so many times. So Slavin Billers got sent off a couple. Um, Duncan Ferguson got sent off all within a space of, I think, three or four weeks. And Howard wasn't too happy that's going to go back to the board. Um, we had a big game coming up against them, not the other side. You know, when he said, well, we're going away. We went to Cyprus. It was sort of more of a stag do than it was a training camp. Um, I think Duncan used it as his stag do. Um, it, was, it was great for me as a young kid to see all these senior players all dancing around and I was fine. I was ordering loads of bottles of champagne and thinking I was the big one and didn't have to pay a penny because all I had to do was look at Slavin. He paid the bar bill. Duncan paid the bar bill. They saved a few thousand pounds. We come back and we, and we beat them. So it all worked out in our favour. So <laughs> that was a bonus. There we go. Okay, now don't forget, um, I'll give you mine in a minute because you're talking to a man who's once slept in the same bed as Edan Tal, and there's not many who can say that, I'll tell you. But Greg, just before we go to the floor to ask some more questions, what's your, what's your story of an Everton can player? Can I be a manager rather than a player? Oh, you can be a manager, yeah, absolutely. David Moyes, and it actually involves Preno as well. Oh, so, go on, let's hear it. Yeah. <laughs> The summer 20, 2010 and uh, Arteta had been linked with leaving the club quite a bit and we set off for Australia on the pre-season tour hard life for the, the club report on the Echo you go with the, with the team and obviously cover the games in Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne but it was the first week and, and Moyes could be notoriously prickly most of the time but particularly on pre-season when there were other things going on and he was so fastidious about everything working to plan trying to control everything as he did anyway and he was really had a be in his bonnet about links with Arteta and, uh, and other clubs. It was Arsenal who obviously got him in the end and they were courting him that summer. So this press conference on, in the first day, turn up still half jet lagged in Sydney in the Olympic Park. And I'd spoken to Preno and he said, you know, we'd been warned beforehand, don't ask about Arteta because you won't get an answer. Told Preno that, he said, that's fine, I understand that from, you know, the national media if they want to ask back home. But there weren't many media there from, from England. So I didn't ask, it goes ahead. Anyway, next minute, Preno thought, we better at least acknowledge as the English representatives that, you know, it was off the agenda. And I said, well, yeah, but we didn't, there was no line, didn't ask him, didn't get an answer. So he's fine, okay. Goes, goes on with the day, next morning in the lobby of the hotel. Moyes comes galloping along. I'm stood there, still half jet lagged, right in my face, waving a bit of paper. What's this, what's this, lad? And I'm, what is it? And it was a photocopy of the Echo. And Preno had, in his wisdom, <laughs> added a line underneath the headline saying, questions on Arteta's future. <laughs> We're off limits. <laughs> I thought I told you not to mention Arteta. <laughs> yeah, nice one, Dave. Yeah. Um, so he said, that's it. Get away. I don't want to see you for the rest of the week. So I'm sat there in Sydney <laughs> for the Echo. As you do. Covering Everton. 
the one reason I'm there is to get access to the players, to the manager, and I phoned him, and the first thing he did was laugh. Was laugh. He said, I've been there myself, he'll be fine after a few days, and he was indeed, he calmed down a little bit, but he could be very, very sensitive when he didn't like something that he saw in the echo. And an actual postscript to that, because obviously, you know, so I felt a little bit Postscript responsible or a defence, Dave? Felt responsible for sending Greg out on a week's holiday to Australia, <laughs> not being able to do, to do his job. So, you know, I spoke to the chairman of the football club, you know, so Bill Kenrice, and says, what's going on here? I says, you know, the manager won't speak to our reporter who's actually out in Australia because of this perceived slice that we put in a subhead. You know, so this, this can't be right. And I, I won't do Bill's voice because no one can do it. But son, son, just ring him and say you're sorry. I said, but I've got nothing to say sorry for. No, what can he say if you say, I am sincerely sorry, David? <laughs> and so I thought, oh my God, is this for real? So I had to ring David and say, David, I am sincerely sorry, <laughs> with my nose growing like out the side of my face. And, you know, I think, you know, you should want to say we're restored to normal, but you, you did talk to him after that. Whatever it takes, David. Phil, have you got one? <laughs> I haven't got one that affected me directly. I've got I've got several Martinez stories that aren't funny, just quite shocking. But um, <laughs> um, that's the sort I, of type of thing we're looking for, to be honest <laughs> with you. But, okay, well, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of the famous Leighton Baines interview, which he gave to me um, in the final season, Roberto, where he said on a couple of occasions, "I don't think the team has any chemistry." Well, that went down like a proverbial, you know, dog's dinner sandwich with with Roberto, who at the press conference didn't name me but slaughtered me in front of the Sky cameras then in a separate side room where he came to do the locals came in and said hi Roberto you okay no not really okay why you've let down the football club how's that you you've misconstrued what Leighton said you should not have reported that I haven't misconstrued it I reported it faithfully you've let down the football club I'm sorry you feel like that but I've done nothing wrong right don't worry about it I'll let you, I'll, uh, I'll help you you do your job now Phil love it well, it's a tough job, I'll tell you, but the one I can remember, and you won't be surprised in knowing it involves a certain Mr. Paul Gascoigne. And, uh, and this was when uh, a friend of mine used to look after um, Question of Sport. And he said, we've always wanted Paul, and we've always wanted, can you get him on, can you get him on? So I spoke to Paul, he says, yeah, no problem, I'll do it, Myers, as he calls me, Myers. And so we, we get up, Walter said to me, he can do it, under one circumstance that you're in charge. So if something goes wrong, if he drinks or anything like that, you're for the high jump. So I said, okay, Walter, no problem. And he didn't want to cross Walter. So I get him in my car and Gaz, as he always did, he would never get in the front of the car with you. He would always sit in the back like you were his chauffeur, you know, the pain in the arse. So, so we're on the way up and I, I'd been shopping for my wife for some shopping earlier that afternoon. And I had it in the, boat, in the back of the car. But I also had a load of boxes of pictures, you know, the photographs that they sign and give out to people. So we're going up, I'm doing sort of 70 up the motorway up the M62 to Manchester. And I said, Paul, do me a favor, sign your photographs for me. You know, get them done now before, you know. So he says, aye, all right, no problem. And he takes them out and he's got the pen and he's signing them all. And then he says, do you want me to sign these as well? I said, no, no, don't do David Weir's, you know. <laughs> so next minute, he starts signing all David Weir's, best wishes, Paul Gascoigne. And then Gary Naismith's, and then Kevin Campbell's. And he I've paid like hundreds of pounds for these photographs, and he's ruined every one. So then he starts signing me fucking headrest, you know, and, and in the car and everything. So I'm like, I'm losing it on the motorway, because I couldn't do anything, because I'm doing 70 up the motorway. So I said, will you stop messing about, you know? So anyway, we get to Question of Sport, and it was a night when really we saw all the different sides of Paul Gascoigne, because 
we go in, he does, he ruins two, because they, they, they record three programs on the same night. He ruined two of them because he walked on, which wasn't his show. Um, and then, so anyway, in the end, uh, uh, a mate of his turned up, someone called Steve Watson. And uh, that's never a good combination, you know. So, so I look, come back, I was talking to whoever was on there with him, and, and then I come back and I said, where's Paul? Don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? Where's he gone? And he'd found a bottle of champagne. And uh, let's just say he'd, he'd had a few drinks of this champagne. And I went mad. I found him in a cupboard somewhere. And I said, what are you doing? You know, and he said, oh, mind your own effing business, you know, you know as, as he would when he had a couple of drinks. And I, I said, well, you don't, you know, you've... So anyway, he sort of pushed me away. And I said to Steve Watson, just deal with it, mate. He's let me down. You know, I'm fed up with it. I've had enough of him, you know, because all the stuff in the car with the sign and autographs and everything. So I, I left and I thought, find your own way home. You know, I've had enough of you, you know, because... At that point, you know, there was a lot more about Gaz than, than this night. Anyway, so we, I, I let him go, and I got home. I was really fed up, you know, because I thought, Walter's going to go mad tomorrow, you know, because he had a drink. So uh, I go to bed, got a bit of a headache, you know. And I'm like, so the next morning I wake up, and I come down to my wife, and she says to me, and she had one of the little, you know, the Warburton's orange bread, you know, the orange paper bread. And she says, why is every slice of our bread signed by fucking Paul Gascoigne? <laughs> and he'd signed... Every slice, honestly, best wishes, Paul Gascoigne, and put every slice back. Unbelievable. And, uh, and the funny thing about that, the madness of Paul, uh, we, we went away on a train, you know, to a match, and, and I got the check of the money that he got paid for it, and he said to me, oh, Miles, you can have that. And I said, no, I don't want your money. That's for you. You've earned it. You know, you did the show. No, no, you have it. So he said, if you don't have it, I'll eat it. So I said, just take the check, Paul. And he just crumbled it up and ate the check. So he never got paid for it either. But that was Paul Gascoigne. Anyway, we've got a question here. Give us your question. Is it to anyone in particular or just the panel? It's just a general question. Okay. How can we sign players from clubs fighting relegation that have been relegated or have failed at the top clubs and still expect them to perform with a winning mentality? That's Ryan Follow Everton. I love that. That's a good question. Have you got anyone in particular? Or? No, no. Okay. No, what I mean is a player in particular who we might have signed from a relegated club, or you're looking at your... Just recent examples, like Zuma, signed from... Zuma got relegated with Stoke last season, and then we've just said we want him to get us into the top four. So it's about the quality of, of signing. So who wants to take that one? Good question, I like that. Yeah, I, I, I understand it. It's happened for, for many okay, years, where you see players who have been relegated before, being given Anyone another else? opportunity and another opportunity. No. We are still in that... We're not nearly there yet. And the type of, say, Zuma, he has been relegated with Stoke, as you said, but he's been part of a big club who've, who were in a position where we want to be in and further ahead again. Um, it's hard to get the balance right. You know, we need to get marquee signings in. I, I think that the fans are crying out for to, to start singing someone on the terraces, but also I think what we were saying earlier on, Marcel's going to bring the youth in and, and, and try and find these diamonds. He has found a few diamonds already, so hopefully in the summer you find a few more. Okay, uh, Phil, do you want to do you want to have a go with that one? Uh, the feedback I actually had with Zuma at Stoke was he was actually probably their best player, and I think I think this for me it's a similar situation to Idrissa with Villa when they went down, and he was actually by by and far their best player. Hence why we signed him. I think we'd all agree he's, he's largely been a success. Um, I still think. I know what you're getting at, and I pre and, and you know, and I see where you're coming from. I would think that if they're a good player, they can't be sort of, um, sort of, t 
tarnished by association of, of being part of a team that's gone down because ultimately they may have given everything and performed as, as well as they could be into a standard that is better than, than what was around them. Okay. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Let me just let me just come let me just come with the mic because everybody else needs to hear that, especially Phil. I know, but we're trying to establish a winning mentality, which yeah. we haven't had for Z years. So Zuma's won a league cup, I think, hasn't he? Okay, didn't know yeah. that. But yeah. there's many examples, and even players we've signed from Barcelona were giving them ridiculous salaries and saying, "Well, you can come here. You don't have to do as well there." And we're still, you know, trying to get them. Look at Mina; he's not really delivered what we thought so far. I know he's had injuries, but still not at that level when he has played, in my opinion. By the way, if you want to, if you want to ask a question, put your hands up, and I'll come and uh, I'll come and get you. We'll we'll, we'll start on this one. Uh, just a quick question. Everyone talks about after the derby confidence going down I think the two home games after that against Newcastle and Watford they were both winnable games and I came out of both games thinking what's going what, why are the play, Why weren't the players confident why weren't they up for those two games after that derby should have I know it was disappointing to lose it in the manner we did but those home games for me were the turning point Michael is there not is there not a, a case you know it's the gentleman saying is there not a case to to think, right, we need to put this right, the disappointment of the derby, we need to put this right? Yeah, 100%. But, but when you have a difficult result or a difficult performance or a result that hurts, the only way to, to get rid of it is, is, put, is, is get three points the following game. When there's a break and it lingers and it, it sort of gets in you, that's difficult sometimes. It's happened to me where you've had a difficult result and there's an international break, there's a couple of weeks before the game, and that simmers and that mentality sort of simmers. We never had that. We had the games ready to bounce back, and we never. And I think the confidence after that game did, did kill the fellas, did kill the lads. And that's where we think we're missing that winner mentality that we're talking about. We're missing that leader to, to show a bit of fight and show a desire. These fans are good us going to turn up. That's what they want to see, minimum. And then, we, obviously, we want to bring quality in to, to take us up that table. But the minimum requirements that we have in football club is to show that, that passion, that desire, and the fans will respond. Okay, um, question here. Yep. Um, I, so, I sort of think a lot of the games this season, I think it's been a really strange season, and a lot of games have literally just turned on a moment, like the derby, where who could have, who could have thought, you've never seen a goal like that before, scored in the history of football, have you? A weird little moment, and I think there's the massive frustration I see on Silver's face when he talks about individual mistakes and weird moments, and you just mentioned it, Michael. I think a major problem for years has been leadership. Jag's a good player, good servant. I don't think he's a, a real captain. You know, in the 80s, you had captains throughout the team. Who's the last great leader? Dave Watson, Barry Horn, you know, years ago. Who do you see in football now, who feasibly we could bring in, who could be a leader in the middle of that park at centre-half or central midfield and change it, you know? It's, it's, it, the modern-day football is very, very hard to you know and the, the, the best teams have it you know the best the Barcelona is they have that spine the Chelsea's have that spine with John Terry we need to find someone we need to find this spine um, it's difficult when you see your captains injured and chops and chain you see that armband go all around the team it's not good to see um, but it's sort of modern day football for some reason and hopefully we'll find a spine soon because I think that's what this football club's always lived off and we need it Greg who's the, who's the leader out there who, who's the Who's going who's gonna to come in and be a leader? I wish I knew. I only hope that that's something that is really high at the top of Brands' 
priority list in the summer in terms of, you know, we mentioned jokingly about Moyes before and about how immaculate he was in terms of the preparation he did for bringing players into the club. And one thing that he always absolutely drilled down into to the nth degree was the personality and the character of players. And 99.9% of the time, he got it right. And so I'd like to hope the brand is looking similarly for people who can come in. And obviously, like Phil said earlier, be of the requisite standard to, to move us forward, but also to, to lift that dressing room. And I think if we just jump back to your question earlier, I, I see what you're saying. Jordan Pickford, though, went down, didn't he? Keen, yeah. But there's players who, for me, it's not just buying players who've failed and gone down. It's players who've come. I don't want to pick on Schneiderlin because he, he, he was better last night. But who've come and not made it at a big club. Got sat on a big fat wage and then we've brought them in on the similar wage. And then you wonder how hungry they are to prove themselves. So I think we need to be signing good leaders or potential leaders and really hungry players in the summer. Okay, we've got another question here. You touched on it briefly before about Everton players and Everton managers living in Merseyside rather than places like Alderley Edge. Do you think that should be the case or do you think that they can be led astray, as in Michael's case, when he used to get pissed in our pub every Sunday? Or, or do you think it's a positive... Nobody likes the grass, do they, Michael? Assume it, then. No, I, I think that's an issue. Um, you know, I think Ronald Koo was the first one to come in and he moved up to City. And I understand as a player, as a manager, you want that sort of balance of family time, enjoying yourself time and not getting pestered. But you're going to get that no matter where you are. You know, Ronald Koeman, you're telling me he's not going to get people walking over to him in Manchester to say, can I have an autograph? He's going to get it. But... While he's out of the city, does he understand what we're going through? When it was, when it does, and it's it's when things are going poor. That's you know, if we were winning, no one would be bothered, you know. But it gives us an excuse to have a go and moan about it. You're not here, you're not hating us. It doesn't feel like you're hating like we are. You're 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 out the way. You're not you know you're not going to work, and you're listening to the other side going on and. And where just ruins our weekend? You've just gone away and had your meal. It's, that's what the fans will, will always going to say if, when things turn poor. And I feel that moving forward, I think the club do need to look at it and go. You know, I've looked at the other side. They all live in the, in the area. You know, and I think we need to look at that. It's, it's an easy option for someone just to move out the way. What were the prices like, Michael? By the way, in that pub, is it? What, what, what were the prices like in the pub there? Was it, are they okay? Or? It's only got the round in, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that night. <laughs> uh, right, we've got another question here. Our under-18s and under-23s are doing fabulous this season. Have we got any major stars coming through? Any major stars coming through? Dave or Phil might be, I don't know. Yeah, as you rightly mentioned, the 23s are on course to win um, Premier League 2 again for second time in three seasons there isn't really anybody pushing like there was in that crop with Kenny and, and, and Dowell um, they're, a young, they're a younger 23s if that makes sense um, and they, there's too many of them look a couple of seasons maybe three or four seasons away from, from, from being ready if I'm being honest um, there's, look there's, there's plenty of talent there in the 18s and, 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 and uh, bridging the 23s now Anthony Gordon looks like he's got, he's got something about him he's somebody to keep an eye on um, but as I say, that 23 team that Unzi's got at the minute, a lot of potential, but they're not, they're not ready, in, in my opinion. 
Okay, um, got a question by the bar here. He's, it, it, it might be what, what he wants to, because he's ordering a beer at the moment, but what, what's your question? It's a question to all four of them, really. Phil, Greg, Borley, Dave, who's having the after party? <laughs> who's having the after party that we want to know? <laughs> apparently, all apparently back to the, guy, the guy at the bar had a nice fully trip at the weekend. And There's a man with a pub over there. <laughs> I know that. Um, he can't get in. Just an interesting point there, though. An interesting point was about youngsters. Michael, you were young when you came into the side. Um, have we tried to bring in too many young players, do you think, in the, last, in the last couple of years? Can you bring in four and five? If they're good enough, yeah. Um, but trying to find that mix and do that, what, what United done in 92, I don't think it's ever been done since. It's difficult. You know, you're only going to get the, the wonders that, you know, we see Wayne Rooney come in, he, he got his opportunity, he grabbed it, and you knew straight away he's going to be something special. There's not many of them. And whether there's a debate about this under 23 and reserve team football, I think I can see both sides of it. I can see the development side that still needs to happen because even when you're 17, 18, you're still learning the game. But you're not going to learn it unless you're playing. And they need opportunity. With, the, my, with my time and this time, now there's teams, now youth systems buying players from all around the world. You not just have to be your best in your local area or you know the northwest or whatever. It's it's all over the world. It's, it's Europe, you know South America, and you're up against them. Uh, we look, we always love to see a local guy to come in and, and, and put that shirt on and, and be proud. But it's it's more difficult now, and it, the opportunity with managers now they've got to risk a lot to throw these youngsters in and to see look go ahead see what you can do. And if they fail, the manager probably loses his job as well. But, but going back, I mean, Greg, I'll, I'll ask you this. Going back to the 80s, you know, in the, in the great side in the 80s, you didn't really see young players coming in. I mean, uh, you know, the, and, and I think apart from the Manchester United, you know, famous kids, you don't see a lot of really, really top sides who were successful have more than one, maybe two youngsters. Yeah, I don't think that's a coincidence. And the, the, the United side of the kids that Paulie mentioned then was probably the exception. I'd be interested to know from, from Borley if, if I can. We've all seen Tom Davis go up and down since he's broken into the team and I really hope that he can fulfil his potential in the way that Ross Barkley couldn't. But I wonder the social media pressure on these young lads. As, as someone who was, you know, albeit not positionally, but a Tom Davis or Ross Barkley, how do you think you would have coped with that scrutiny of Twitter and you know, Instagram and, was... and everything you did getting scrutinised? There was luckily it wasn't there. It was out when I was out your place. When it was there, I mean performance-wise, you know, understand every kick of the ball getting pulled apart. Well, it, it goes down from social media to back in my day. You look at your ratings in the paper, and you, you're disappointed. And then you, you you listen to your family, you listen to your friends around you. you. You know exactly what goes on. But then when you see it on, say, the social media situation, it does. It must give that negative effect. You know, when you looked at like, even Blue Kipper was back out in my day. You look at the reports then. Uh, good, good ones you take it, bad ones you, you, you just go right, I'll show you what you can do but it's all about the character as the player itself you, you're not going to be able to please everyone but as long as you, you, know, you, you have a go and, and then hopefully your ability shines through, great but you know, if, as soon as you get some bad press you know, there's been bad press with the England team for many years and as soon as, as, soon as that gets to you, you know, you've got no chance, you've just got to be a strong character and as soon as that's over that white line it's up to you to be uh, proud of your own performance uh, Phil, 
question for you. I think you'll know what I mean. 52,000 or 62,000? <laughs> we haven't spoke about it tonight, have we? I totally understand the idea that bigger's better, but my natural feeling is that 52 seems sensible. You know, and if, and if with safe standing over that yet, yet to be seen, you know, the leaked document sort of cast a little bit of doubt over that. Um, if with safe standing it can be improved on the basis that the, 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 support is, it, it, the support is there, Grace, because but for me, and the biggest thing about the whole move to Bramley Moore is replicating and taking Goodison with us, not in pillars and obstructive views and all that nonsense and wooden seats, of course, but I mean, what it means and the atmosphere. Spirit. And the, absolutely. And, and why it has become traditionally and historically such an advantage for us and taking that to the, to the, to the waterfront. And if that means a smaller capacity initially, uh, but as long as we fill it, that's, that's the most important thing for me. Dave, you and I have both seen stadium uh, promises and, and, and things come and go. How real do you think this one is? I'm as optimistic now as I've ever been. Um, you know, we've seen those failed, you know, sort of stadiums in the past, which never got anywhere near the stage that this one is at. And you can just tell from what's being said behind the scenes, from you know, sort of the messages that come out, that this is altogether more solid, you know, sort of more real. The club has been very, very cautious in their statements, understandably so, because of you know, sort of the expectation levels that have been built up in the past. But I don't, you know, I think Phil would agree with you. We've not heard a single bit of negativity about this project at all. Um, you know, the consultation period was really well handled, and there's going to be another one of them. Uh, you know, so planning is due at the end of this year, and we've already seen sneak previews of some plans that, you know, so may or may not be what it will look like ultimately. Uh, but this is Farhad Mashiri's big dream. I mean, I know he wants a football team that's going to challenge and get into the Champions League, but building the stadium, I think, will be his ultimate legacy. And, you know, that is something that, you know, was a pipe dream, you know, so only 10 years ago. And so that'll be a huge achievement of his. I am 100% confident. I don't have any shred of doubt in my mind. Maybe I could be proved to be hopelessly wrong, but, you know, I don't, I genuinely think that this is on the cusp of happening now. Uh, Michael, um, I remember being uh, at Goodison and I had to take a certain Mr. Ravenelli down to Belfield to show him around. And uh, I don't know whether you ever remember him coming, you know, and, and about to sign. It was at a Dave Watson testimonial, actually. And I remember getting to Belfield and Howard, we had him in the car, and Howard ran upstairs and, and said to Mary, who was the, the, the <laughs> chef there, uh, in inverted commas, um, he said, Mary, get the good cups out, you know. Now, and that's a, <laughs> that's a true story. Now, and that's where we were, you know, that's, that's what it was like. But, but how impressed can a, a footballer be with regards to a new stadium you know how is that going to change what players come to this club and and what players think of this club does it make a difference would it make a difference with you if you were signing for a big stadium club if you like no no it's a th but it's different mentality nowadays um you know the last 15 20 years you've seen training grounds all over the place i went to rangers they had the the fantastic training ground, but before then they never had one. You know, they've enticed big players before to, to, without showing the famous training ground that they never that never existed. You know, it, it doesn't really matter as a player. You know, all you need is two goals, a bit of grass, but then and be successful. That's what your players want to be. But there's the, a different generation now where 
If you look at Man City, that they've ticked every box under the sun on the training grounds. They, they look after the players, where they put them, where they tell them to stay. Um, the partners for the children. So if they've gone that way. Well, that's a very expensive way. Um, but I, do I want to leave Goodison Park? I, I wouldn't. I wish there was a, a way to, to change it. Um, but to move forward, we do need a new ground. We need this fan base to grow. We need to pull money in because we're in a difficult situation where many successful teams who have had money haven't had these barriers put in front of them. You know, back in the day, Blackburn come in and you know blew Man United out the water. Um, didn't couldn't contain it. Then Man United got back on top. Chelsea come in, took it to a whole new level. Um, then Man City come in and took it to a whole new level again. And now we've come with a billionaire owner we've been crying out for for a long period of time. There's everyone in the Premier League's got money. Like Fulham spent over a hundred million pounds. Um, so I'd rather have an expensive, good, successful football team than a ground. To be honest, well, I was going to say, Greg, you speak to a lot of the fans. You hear from a lot of the fans. What, uh, you know, how important is it? We saw how Arsenal as a club sort of fell back a little bit because of the stadium, because of building new stadium. And, and, and it was understandable because it was a big, big project. Is that a danger? Do, do Everton have to, you know, where does, where's the pecking order here? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a difficult one because this season, I think the, the one positive off the pitch that is in the back of fans' minds is this potential to move to a truly, and it sounds like, you know, the promotional blur, but a genuinely iconic world location and have our stadium there, overshadowing Anfield with this new main stand, overshadowing probably most stadiums, certainly in terms of its, how iconic it can be in the Northwest. So that's been the one thing that we can say, well, all right, we've had another disappointing season, but at least that's ongoing. And it's really, really important. We all accept, probably most of us accept, sadly, that Goodison, it's not going to be able to, well, it isn't going to be able to be built upon and renovated. It, it, it is the Bramley Moor that is the answer. So I'd like to hope that Mishiri's looked at Arsenal. Obviously, he's got time served there in, in a lesser capacity than he's at now. And his mate, obviously, Elishul Zmanov, is, is probably his, his advisor in many ways, and said, let's try and find a model where we can avoid having to rob Peter to pay Paul, so not invest in the team, but have a brilliant stadium. Because I agree with Borley in that regard. There's no point doing that. And hopefully there's a, a new financial model to build this stadium that will mean that we can still put money into the team. Into the team. Yeah, because you can't have... You sort of still need... If you're going to fill that stadium, you need Champions League football, don't you? And a stadium isn't, isn't going to get you to the top four. And so a centre-forward who scores... 35 goals and costs 150 million quid is so it, it's it's a dilemma without a shadow of a doubt okay well listen we're getting towards the end now so um we haven't mentioned it and i don't really want to mention it but there's a game on sunday um and i'm terrible for these games i can't i can't stand them i, I hate them i don't want anything to do with them uh, in all my time being employed by everton i wouldn't go to anfield uh, which was to the amazement of the managers who were looking for their press, press officers <laughs> on the night. Um, but uh, I, I do remember one story, which I don't know whether it was true or not, but I, I, but I hope it was, that uh, when we beat them 1-0 when Kevin Campbell scored, uh, after the game, um, Dave Watson found himself in with Gerard Houllier and Phil Thompson, and, and, uh, and Dave Watson said, they were all sitting around having a drink you know, before they, they went, and Dave Watson said, I've got to go now. 
he said, I've got to go to the hospital. And Phil Thompson said, why is that? And he said, because I've got to get this smile removed from my face. And they never went down well for some reason. I don't know why, but I'd love to believe that's true. But anyway, um, but we'll go down the panel and we'll just ask about what we expect, what we think will happen. We know what we'd like to happen. But Phil, what, 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 what are we expecting on Sunday as Everton fans? <laughs> what we expect and what we get might be two different things. Um, I would expect on the back of Tuesday night um, a degree of confidence and, you know what, what, what's to lose now? You know, we've got to go out there and, and, and take it to Liverpool. Um, I don't know if they're getting on now, by the way. They're winning 2-0 winning uh, at the moment right, okay. and City are 0-0, so there's no good news. I think we've got to give reason for the Goodison faithful to create an atmosphere that will have an impact. I think that has got to be at the top of Marco's um, sort of team talk and to-do list in the, in the coming days. He's got, so that means being aggressive, pressing, being brave in that respect. Don't have, you know, be brave enough to go and, and put them under pressure because that's the only way that we will force mistakes. That's the only way we're going to get the turnover and get the opportunities. Um, Try and score from a set piece. Never mind defending them. I would try and score from one. Um, I, I, incidentally, I, 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 I never argue with Liverpool fans. I grew up with uh, six brothers, all Liverpool fans, and my dad, Liverpool fans. So I respect them. And I, and I think, you know, I know we had the big debate not long ago. Whoever wins the league deserves to win the league. And I think that, you know, as football fans, we should appreciate that. But, but Greg... Um, how will Everton go into the game, do you think? I mean, what, what, what is the mindset? You, you know, they, they will probably will have watched, as I'm sure many of us might have done, watched that game on Sunday at Old Trafford and looked at Liverpool who were out of sorts, who were not firing in the final third. I didn't know they were winning tonight, that's a blow. But, you know, I, I suppose it was always going to change eventually and hopefully they put another few past Watford and then it's out the system. But genuinely speaking, they, they have hit a bit of a lull in form before tonight. And if there's any justice, any justice, any narrative for this season, it could be the game where that brilliant or, or that positive start we had completely flatlined. It could maybe just be revitalised again. It's so ridiculously long overdue since we've, we've got a result against them anywhere. But, you know, at Goodison Park, particularly, you know. So maybe we've got to get, as Phil said, got to get in the face, got to be on the front foot. But equally, I don't, I don't think it's helpful to approach it like the weight of the world and the pressure of all these past derbies is on the players' shoulders because too often we've seen Everton go into games like that and the, the team, Liverpool, have just played the game, if you excuse the cliche, as one. And we might have got players sent off or players making uncharacteristic errors of judgment because of that pressure. So I'd just like them to harness what they did on the South, uh, South Wales yesterday and hopefully finally get a bit of luck our way whether it's in the first or the 96 minutes and get results I don't even I don't, would I take a point I don't think I would because like Phil said what do you got to lose may as well just go for the win uh, Michael I'll come to you in a moment but we'll just ask Dave first how important because I want to speak to you as, as a player uh, Michael um, who didn't score in a derby um, how um, how uh, important is the crowd? There's been a lot of discussion, isn't there, over the last few weeks about the atmosphere, well, the last few years. How important will the crowd be on Sunday? It's funny, I was just thinking then as you were coming down the line and I thought the single most influential factor for me at the weekend could be Oslo here, could be, the, well, not Oslo, because 
It'd be frowned upon in the press box to start, you know, sort of shouting and bouncing about. Not the behaviour before. You know, so the, the, the atmosphere, because Liverpool at the moment, you know, great season though they've had, are showing signs of pressure, they're showing signs of tension, nervousness, you know, so certainly at Anfield rather than away from home. But they are beginning to, you know, so falter a little bit. The manager is acting erratically, you know, so he's like, you know, having rows with his captain, you know, so, you know, they're beginning to feel the pressure. And so if we can create an atmosphere that plays on that, that, you know, sort of gets at them, just makes, takes the pressure off us for a change, because we go into derbies with the weight of the world on our shoulders normally, takes the pressure off us and puts it on them, that can make a big difference. Um, it's a very, very fine dividing line though, because if you create an atmosphere that is so incendiary, players lose their heads. And as, you know, has been said, start, you know, picking up silly yellow cards, silly red cards. That's counterproductive. And it's happened to us too many times in derby matches. So yes, the atmosphere has got to be electric. Really, the players have to also handle that atmosphere and play. But if Liverpool have weaknesses at the moment, it's in their mentality. And therefore we have to play on that and the crowd can influence that. Okay, uh, well, just final, final, uh... City are winning now, are they? Good lads, City are leading now. Not that I'm bothered. Um, Michael, last, last word really from you on the derby because we know we know about how important, we know how maybe Everton have got to go into it confidently, but how if you're Marco Silva, how do you set up for that derby? How do you beat Liverpool? As a player, you played against them, you don't. You'll, you'll know by when you play into a game, it's not normally once a season you play against a team twice, and you know against how you've got to deal with your opposition or against your your rival. If say I'm left back, I'm against you know whoever's in front of me. You should figure them out by now. Uh, and majority of that last game we we did. We just never got that look of the green and that desire. And I think what the panel just said is is spot on. You know if the fans get going. That players get going, but keep that calmness and just believe in the ability. And I think the players would have learned from the last game. You know, that was away from home, and we we played like the home side at, at times. And I think that's he'll, he'll look back at that game and look at the positives in the game. Okay, we know the result and how it all happened, but the majority of that game we we dominated team, and who were in fine form then. Now they're under pressure. You can see little, little cracks here and there, and just don't let off the hook. You know, I think we've let a lot of teams, especially Goodison, off the hook at times when they've. There's been a five, ten minute sort of lull. We've sort of gone in lull as well. Take advantage of it. And um, it's all about the game's management and when to press and, and, and when to sort of calm it all down. Uh, Pickford's probably a prime example where Jordan's been, you know, you know the majority of success since he comes to the club, but a couple of derby games where he's from, he understands what the derby means. He's been a bit erratic at times. And that sort of puddles the fans a bit at ease where he's doing wild kicks and putting them out of play. Hopefully he's learned and he's, he's, he's gained that experience, that a bit of calmness is probably what we'll need. Okay, well listen, I, I know it's been fascinating listening to the lads tonight, so let's just end this. Get a prediction off you, Phil, for Sunday. Nil-nil. Nil-nil, what, what are you going for? After all that, let's go confident. <laughs> Jeez. I'm just being honest. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's all we want, a bit of honesty. Greg, what are you going for? I had to work with him for five years, by the way. Imagine that <laughs> on a Monday morning. 2-1, uh, Evan. 2-1, yeah. Evan. Finally, the luck's going to turn. OK, Michael? Yeah, I'll go the same, 2-1. Two, 2-1. One, two, one. That's what I'm hoping for, and I can, I can see us doing it, to be honest. Dave? Uh, I'll stick with the positive vein. I'll go for 1-0, a very, very late goal, from a set-piece. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen... 
it's been a good night. Uh, we've still got a bit of business to do with regards to the quiz and because, regards to giving some uh, vouchers out and all the rest of it. So don't move in your seats for the moment. But just for now, please put your hands together for the panel. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.